You're now listening to the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of our flipping series and how to avoid dealer status. Today, Tom and I are going to be going through a handful of tax court cases. We're not going to be able to hit every single factor. So again, we we learned last episode, there's three main factors and then there's nine sub factors that determine what primarily held for sale means. And today we're going to be looking at tax court cases that kind of dig into that a little bit more uh, to hopefully give you real life examples of people that win and people that lose whenever they battle it out in tax court. So Tom's going to kick us off with two tax court cases. Take it away. All right. So the first one is going to be Suburban Realty Co. versus United States. And this happened back in 1980. So what happened was there was a corporation. So Suburban Realty, they were a corporation. They held large volumes of land. Um, And basically over a 33-year period, they sold 240 parcels of land. Now, it's important to note that the corporation was not engaged in any solicitation, advertisement, or development of the activities, and they did not actually act as a broker in these transactions. But despite all this, this would usually indicate capital gains treatment, but the court decided that because of the continuous sales activity over the 33-year period and the number of sales, again, that's 240 sales over 33 years, they decided that that factor um, was a compelling case that basically said that this was going to be a dealer because they were in the ordinary course of business of selling properties. And again, this is falling under the frequency of sales, which is one of the nine factors that kind of indicates whether or not a property is held primarily for resale. So that's again, suburban realty versus United States held over a 33 year period. They sold 240 properties and that alone pretty much was enough to make the task court say that they were a dealer and it was not eligible for capital gains tax treatment. Because remember from last episode, if we do just a quick recap, the three main factors that are going to result in ordinary income treatment is if you are engaged in a trader business, your property is held primarily for sale and the property and sales ordinary for that business. So what we're breaking down here are the nine additional factors that explain what primarily for sale means. And so Tom's going through, like like he just said, the frequency, number, and continuity of sales. That's the one that that, that the tax court has seemingly placed the most emphasis on, though not one of the nine factors is controlling. This one is the one that is, again, seemingly most important. And so Tom's next tax court case dives even further into this factor, the frequency, number, and continuity of the sales. Yeah. And then there's, so in this other task court case, Bono versus Commissioner, also in 1980, um, it was determined that this particular taxpayer was involved in zoning and subdivision of land, something that a normal uh, developer would do, a developer or flipper would do. But basically, because they only sold all of their land in one single transaction, uh, the court deemed that because it wasn't frequent enough, these sales weren't frequent, they did not improve the land, and simply because they engaged in a subdivision activity didn't make them specifically a dealer. So this one kind of 
kind of the opposite, right? So the other, in the other case, suburban realty, there was over 33 year period, there was 240 sales. And this one, this was a, just a very large one-time transaction. And because of that, because there wasn't very frequent, the tax court basically determined that they weren't in the business of selling property and therefore they got capital gains treatment on this. Which is interesting and, and telling too, because if you if you go review the facts of that tax court case, you can learn how to start the development of some of this land. You can do the subdivision, but if you structure your facts appropriately, you can still achieve capital gain treatment on the eventual sale rather than being tagged as a dealer. So that's definitely a, a good one to, to take a look at. And what was that one again, Tom? That one was Bono versus Commissioner. That's uh, uh, 74 TC 187, 1980. Nice. So I'm going to take one that is related to the factor of solicitation, advertising, and sales. So again, this is not one of the top factors, but it is something that the IRS likes to take a look at whenever they are auditing you. Um, it'll, it'll help demonstrate what your intent truly was with the property. Obviously, if you are trying to aggressively sell the property, it's harder to say that you were trying to actually hold it for investment uh, because your your facts would point the other way. In Bidenharn Realty Co. versus United States 1976 tax court case, uh, the tax court denied capital gain treatment. So the taxpayer lost, the IRS won. And the taxpayer was arguing that the original intent was to hold the property for investment. There were some negative factors, like some small minor development items that kind of actually in line with what Tom was previously talking about in the tax court case that he just mentioned. Uh, But the court spent a lot of time analyzing the taxpayer's solicitation and advertising efforts. So the court noted the amount of signage that was used for marketing as an important factor in concluding that the taxpayer was a dealer and not actually an investor. Additionally, the court noted that the use of an independent broker to solicit sales does not shield the taxpayer from being treated as a dealer. So it actually worked against the taxpayer. You hired a broker to go and try to sell the property. What are you really trying to do with the property? Uh, So this taxpayer ended up losing because of primarily their solicitation efforts. They were trying to market the property, even though they, they said that their intent was to hold it, their objective facts, the objective evidence that the tax court places more emphasis on than whatever you claim your intent to be. You know, if you're sitting there trying to advertise your property for sale, uh, then you might not actually be holding it for investment. And just to add a little more color to this, you know, if somebody buys a property, does some minor pre-development work on it, and then a deal falls into your lap, then it's going to go the other way. You're going to be able to say, hey, I was not actively soliciting buyers. I wasn't advertising this property. This deal just fell into my lap. And we're actually going to go over a case here in a few minutes where that exact same thing happened and the taxpayer won. So just be careful of any sort of advertising or solicitation activities that you engage in. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't sell the property. It just means that you know somebody has to come find you and give you the deal versus you finding them and trying to get them to buy the deal from you. Absolutely. Here's another task court case. It's going to be more versus commissioner, 30 TC, 1306. And this one's back in 1958. And this is going to be an interesting case because Basically, over an 11-year period, this taxpayer sold 22 lots of land. Now, this taxpayer acquired the land via gift. And then, again, over an 11-year period, they went ahead and sold 22 lots. 
And the question was whether or not it was going to be capital gains or a dealer status. And basically the task court said, what was the intent? What was at the time of sale? What was the intent? Were they holding the property simply to get the best uh, maximum sale price they could to maximize the return on their investment? Or were they holding it primarily for resale? And what the task court determined was that they were simply holding it to maximize profit, which is in line with the intent of an investor. And they ended up granting capital gains tax treatment. And uh, there are some other supporting facts there, including uh, the fact that there was not an extensive development or sales activity during this 11 years. So this kind of falls under the intent category. What was your intent there? Uh, the taxpayers, they held it, they, they got it as a gift, and they were pretty much just holding the property for investment purposes. It was land. And you know they were just looking to sell at the most advantageous price. So they weren't necessarily holding it for resale. It was investment property. And when basically when uh, sales came in their lap and it was a favorable opportunity, it seems that they sold the property. And the task court said that, you know what, that's consistent with an investor level activity. And they granted capital gains tax treatment to this taxpayer. Awesome. All right. So I'm going to take the last one. Municipal Bond Corporation versus Commissioner 1967 tax court case. Uh, the tax court looked at the taxpayer's business and determined that they were in the business of acquiring and holding real estate both for investment and for sale in the ordinary course of its trader business. So this it made it a little bit interesting. So this is a corporation that had or that held property for long-term investment and also flipped property essentially or 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 held property out for sale in its ordinary course of business and one thing that uh, I can't remember if it came out of this case or a different case, but the tax court ultimately over time has said that you look at this status, this ordinary versus capital treatment on a property by property basis. So just because you're tagged as a dealer doesn't mean that you also can't have investment property. And that's something that actually happened in this tax court case. So in this case, the taxpayer contacted the town of Frisco uh, to purchase a 240 acre lot uh, they purchased the lot and then they also once they perfected title and did some subdivision work um, minor subdivision work they contacted frisco again and tried to negotiate a long-term lease uh, now that went back and forth for some time and then frisco contacted the taxpayer and asked Fr frisco the town of frisco contacted the taxpayer and asked if they could purchase a portion of the land. So the taxpayer wasn't really advertising for sale. They were trying to engage in a long-term lease and they were ultimately able to engage in a long-term lease at extremely favorable terms to the taxpayer. So again, kind of like parlaying what Tom just said about maximizing profits, that's what an investor tries to do. Not to say that a business owner doesn't try to do the same thing, uh, but that's what the tax court kind of looks at here. So this, this taxpayer was able to maximize the profits based on extremely favorable long-term lease to the town of Frisco. Their advertising efforts to sell the property were very minimal. The development efforts were minimal. So really, even though they were actively trying to engage Frisco in a long-term lease and, and even uh, sell some property to Frisco, uh, ultimately, the taxpayer won and was able to to achieve capital gain treatment on the sale of property to Frisco based on all the other factors. So really interesting tax court cases. It can go either way. I highly recommend that you press rewind. You listen to the names of these tax court cases, throw them into Google and go read the opinions yourself. I know it's a little weird at first, but you can scroll down about, I don't know what, halfway, 60% of the way down, whatever PDF document you find, 
And you'll be able to start reading the summary, the actual summary from the tax court case that will give you a lot of insight. It'll cross-reference other cases. So you can go check those out as well. Uh, but a really good way to learn what is the IRS, what is the tax court going to be looking at if my file gets pulled for a review, for an audit. You want to make sure that you structure your facts and circumstances in such a way that point to investor rather than dealer status. Because, you know, again, just just saying that I have the intent of holding the property is not going to be enough. You have to look at your objective facts. Um, and that's what the IRS and tax court are going to take into consideration. Absolutely. And you got to think about it too, uh, you know, about what a tax court case is, right? So, you know, all these cases over the years, uh, we had many years uh, spanning what we discussed here today. They were not tried by the same tax court judge or the same attorneys didn't represent every single taxpayer. So there are differences in the way that these facts and circumstances were, uh, facts and circumstances were positioned in front of the court that made, led them to these conclusions. But really what happens is once these conclusions do take place and these are documented in the summaries of the tax court cases, these become precedents, right? Precedents that the IRS and future tax court uh, cases will be uh, will be viewed through, if that makes sense, the lens that they will be viewed through. So by understanding some of these tax court cases, and like Brand said, being able to align your facts and circumstances with those that favored, uh, say, capital gains treatment versus dealer treatment might be able to save you some money down the road. So uh, just kind of a good way to look at what a tax court case means to you. It's really a precedent that's going to be relied upon by the IRS and the tax courts to make their case um, when, if, if and when you actually get to that point. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in today's episode. Before you go, we did want to remind everybody about the Tax Smart Real Estate Investor Facebook community with over 2,500 members and counting. There are a ton of great conversations taking place right now between real estate investors of all levels. And with the Biden tax changes in the pipeline, this is something you're not going to want to miss out on. To join, go to www.facebook.com slash taxsmartinvestors or search for Tax Smart Investors on Facebook to join today. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.